0: Renovation, Gospel stories, good stories, great stories out of the Gospels about Jesus at work in the lives of His disciples, and hopefully uh, at work in our lives as well. Pray with me. Father God, teach us from Your Word. Thank You for the blessing of truth from Scripture, delivered, Father, um, from heaven through godly men and that You inspired to write. Thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Help us to listen to it, learn from it. And um, would you, by your spirit, guide it uh, into um, becoming part of our lives? We love you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So what kind of movies do you most like? Real quick. What would what, what, you hear? Superheroes. Adventure, superheroes, another superhero vote right here. OK. Anyone else? Documentaries. Documentaries. OK. The, the intellect. That's good. Feel good, happy endings. How about over here? Action. Action Action movie. Okay. Any romance people? Okay. Three of you. Wow. I mean, where's my wife when I need her to vote? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how many, how many, what kind of movies do you not want to see? Did you hear that? Say that again. Horror. Horror Horror movies. You know, you just set up my sermon. You really did. See, I don't know about, the way I would answer that question is, um, number one, I love a good action flick where the hero wins. Where good triumphs over evil. Love that. Love that. Love that. And I, can I confess, I'm a guy, but I love romantic comedies. Usually because I get to watch them with my wife, and she loves romantic comedies which enhances my romance, okay? (laughs) So anyway, I'm sorry. I'm a guy, right? I've I've got a reason for everything. What I don't like, two things. Number one is I do not like movies, especially if I'm paying for them. They're not a freebie on Netflix or something, but if I'm going to land down 11 bucks for a movie and it ends with a depressing ending, I don't care how great the movie was, I can get depressed without paying for it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And the other is I voted with the audience, and that is horror music movies or music for that matter. <laughs> really horrific music or movies. No. Yeah, you know, movies that are just designed to scare me. Now, the ones that kind of scare me and then after I get scared I laugh, that's okay. That kind of scare I'm up for. But I'm talking about the movies that are just too realistic. And you kind of, when it's over, you think, oh my gosh, that could happen to me. I don't want to pay for that. Fear at times can be entertaining, but most of the time it's not. Especially when it's not so much in a movie, but it's in life. How does faith apply to fear? How does faith apply to fear whenever we're living out our daily routine and all of a sudden we realize that the choices we're about to make are are kind of before us and if I choose this, it's scary. It's fearful. It's uncertain. I begin to feel anxious. I begin to worry. I begin to get fearful of doing even something that I think God wants me to do. That is the story of the morning. That's what we're going to talk about. Father God, I want to pray again because I really sense that uh, this is such a common experience for us in life that so often all of us experience fear and sometimes we allow it to control us, even even become the, uh, the God with a little g in our life at least become the thing that we want to escape from and and, and not have to uh, face under any circumstances. So I pray you teach us about the reality of fear in our life and how to handle that and how to take our faith and really plug it in to really utilize it uh, as a tool in facing those fears. So I ask for that in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14, Matthew 14. Again, we're looking at different stories in which we see Jesus molding, shaping, renovating, okay, restructuring, renovating the lives of His disciples. As always, most of the stories about Jesus that have a lesson are set in a context. They almost never just come out of a vacuum, but they always, it's always important to look at context before you look at content. You got that? Context before content. So we're going to look at the setting. Then we're going to study a storm. And then we're going to see the shock that that kind of came out of that in the disciples' lives and, and what they learned from it. First, the setting and the storm. Pick it up with me. The setting is kind of captured best in chapter 13, right before chapter 14 begins in verse 58 when it says this, And Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Underline the word unbelief. That's the key word of the morning. It says that Jesus didn't do very many miracles there because of their unbelief. Now I wonder where he was. When you look at the context, that's talking about Jesus actually being not amongst his enemies, but amongst his friends, not just his disciples, but his lifelong friends, his family. Jesus was indeed back in his hometown He had gone back to Nazareth where he grew up. And Jesus, it says in uh, verses 53 to 58, that he he finished teaching, he departed, and he came to his hometown. And he began teaching them, verse 54, look at it, in their synagogue. Jesus is now back on his home turf. He's among the people that know him best. But look what happens. It says, and he came to his hometown, began teaching them so that they were astonished they, could, they were amazed at his intelligence, his wisdom. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They had seen and heard of his miracles. He was still doing miracles, but not very many, and here's why. And then they said, verse 55, is this not the carpenter's son? He, he was, remember, he just grew up among us. Is not his mother Mary? His brothers are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Get these miracles and this wisdom. And they took offense at Jesus. But Jesus said to them, here's a famous statement you may be heard before. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Now this unbelief is matched by a second theme. If you were if you were taking some notes, if you want to in my outline, number one is it's an atmosphere of unbelief. Number two, it's an atmosphere of opposition. Jesus has an incredible following who's following Him from place to place, and we'll see it again in this passage. At the same time, there's a mounting opposition against Him among religious leaders and political leaders. They see Him as a threat. Chapter 14 tells the story. I'm not going to teach it this morning, but it's, it sets up our, our theme. And you see the opposition building. You see the story there of, of Herod and how Herod had arrested John the Baptist. Remember that? As the prophet that announced the coming of Jesus and Messiah, and the, a new king is coming. And, and John the Baptist was arrested by Herod, thrown in prison, but he was afraid to kill him only because he knew John the Baptist had a big following, could cause an uproar. But then there's this amazing story that could be made into a movie where where Herod um, uh, Herod doesn't like John for another reason. And that's because John has confronted Herod about the fact that Herod was sleeping, uh, was was having a, a relationship with his brother's wife. So now he he's having a relationship with his own brother's wife and, and, and Herod. Uh, is confronted by john and john says you know something god doesn't smile on that that's not healthy you shouldn't be doing that well that really ticked off Herod, but even more so it ticked off uh it, it ticked off the woman that he was sleeping with so the the reality is they set up this routine where She has an attractive young daughter, and that attractive young daughter catches Herod at a big party, probably a little soused on too much wine or whatever, and and, and she dances for him, okay? So some type of probably erotic dance, it really gets Herod uh, so pleased that he says, oh wow, that was so wonderful, I'll give you whatever you ask for. So the mother whispers in her ear, and says, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter now. Herod had already said publicly, you can have whatever you ask for. He can't back down. His reputation as a leader is on the line. So Herod sends and has John the Baptist beheaded, and his head is served up on a platter. Is this sounding like one of those horror movies that you said you don't like? (laughs) Yeah. But this really happened. But now, why do I bring it up now? It says in verse 14, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and he said to his servants, uh, I think this is John the Baptist. I think he's risen from the dead. And that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. So can you imagine the fear that's inherent? Because he's thinking, oh, my gosh, I beheaded this guy that didn't do anything except tell me the truth about what I should cut out of my life. And now I've beheaded him. And I, 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 the, the miracles of Jesus, would he must be like John the Baptist come back from the dead. So Herod is scared. Herod wants Jesus out. The people, the religious leaders, want Jesus out. The opposition is growing. Then Jesus continues to have his following. He does another big miracle, which we've talked about before. He feeds the 5,000 men and all of their families in verses 13 to 21. So now Jesus, in the midst of these things, in the midst of of, a, um, of unbelief, even from his family and closest friends, in the midst of of opposition, both political and religious, and then in the midst of that, both before and afterwards, Jesus keeps just loving on people and doing miracles. And after this big day in which he feeds the 5,000 plus, now we have the setting for today's story. And I think you'll see that this setting explains the emphasis when we put it into practice. Here we go. Follow with me. Chapter 14, verse 22. And immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of the lake. To the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and while He sent the crowds away, so Jesus says, all right I'll, I'll disperse the crowds, I'll take care of them, I'll get everyone up, but you guys go ahead, get in the boat and head across the sea so they leave in a boat now these boats that these they would travel in are relatively small don't picture a big boat they're not booking passageway on the titanic all right these are typical boats often used by fishermen or every common day people peter in particular as a professional fisherman would be very familiar with these if you go to israel by the way they actually have excavated one of these from the very period of jesus they actually have kind of the bones of one of these uh, in a museum that you can actually see. You know, so so picture, I mean, picture a boat that's probably not much longer than this front set of chairs, maybe a little bit longer, all right? So it's not that big, and, and, they, and they head out across the sea in that boat. And Jesus gets rid of the crowds, and then he wants to get alone. In verse 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there all alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land and began to be battered by the waves for the wind was contrary. So now a storm is brewing. These storms come up really quick on the Sea of Galilee. It's not uncommon for these storms to to be whipped up by high winds, but we're going to see in a minute that this storm was very much under the control of Jesus Himself. To read this story in John 6 and, and Mark 6 where you can find the other versions if you want to write that down, Uh, One of them them estimates that he was about uh, three to four miles out probably. So they were a good distance from shore. Mark 6 adds that in the midst of the storm, they were straining at their oars to try to overcome the storm that was trying to push them back while they were trying to go forward. So the idea is they are stuck in a really, really nasty storm. And in fact, so nasty that they cannot relax, even though it's evening. They can't take a nice sail across the lake. They are straining at the oars, trying to overcome the storm, trying to break through the waves, trying not to be swamped. And at this point, they're getting scared. And at this point, now the story picks up, and the, and the Scriptures say that in about... The fourth watch, verse 25. Now what's the fourth watch of the night? Picture it this way. you know, the, They would break the night time for guard purposes, work purposes, into four three-hour segments. So you pretty much picture from 6 in the evening till 6 in the morning. You break it down into four watches. So what time is this? It's about 3 a.m. It's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it's right about the beginning of early, early sunrise. It is still dark. These guys have been up all night long, straining, working at the oars after being with Jesus all day before. They didn't take a nap, all right? So they are tired, they are sleepy, they are working, and they're scared for their life. And they're in the midst of a nasty storm. And this is what shocks them. Here it comes. It says, and they're they're straining at the oars. And when the disciples, this is in the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. I love one of the other Gospels actually says he came to them walking on the sea, passing by. In other words, the the picture you got to see is Jesus isn't trying to catch up with the boat to get in. Jesus has planned this thing where he's going to walk right past and say hi. And he's going to meet them on the other shore, never having to take a boat. Now, that would be a miracle in and of itself. So Jesus is walking on the sea. His intent is to actually pass them by. And they see him. And it says the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea. And they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage. It's me. It is I. Do not be afraid. So Jesus kind of just pauses and he, 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 he knows their fear and, and he probably sees them freak out when they see him. They're most likely thinking this is the death angel. There's a lot of tradition of of the angel of death coming. It's mentioned in the Old Testament several times. So my guess is they're most likely thinking, you know, this could be uh, it's a ghost or it's the death angel. We're not sure all that they were, but they were terrified, probably thinking this is the kind of thing you see right before you go down. And then there's this voice. Don't be afraid. It is I. And they recognize the voice. And then Peter speaks, verse 28. And now we see not just the setting and the storm, but we see what's often the most talked about part of the story, beginning in verse 28. As Peter takes a walk on the water. And Peter said to him, here's Peter's walk of faith, as I say in your outline. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Peter actually kind of challenges the ghost. He challenges this figure that claims to be Jesus. And he says, okay, so you do here, do this, do this, because if this is really you, if this is really you, I can do this. So Peter actually has had a high point of faith at this point. And this is a pretty gutsy challenge for Peter to lay down, and especially when he gets this answer. It's a one-word answer. What is it? Come. So there's the ghost. Hey, if you're, if you're really who you say you are, ask me to come to you on the water. Come. And I'm not sure how the next one plays out. Did Peter jump or did he climb down with a lot of tight grip on the rope on the side of the boat? I'd love to see this movie, but uh, all I've got is what the Scriptures say is that Peter got out of the boat. He got out of the boat and he walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But, but seeing the wind, by the way, you don't really see wind. What, what's he seeing? He's seeing the, the the results of the wind, right? You don't see wind, but what you see is in a storm like this, you're seeing sheets of rain probably being driven by the wind. You're seeing the waves being, being whipped up by the wind. You know, have you ever seen it? So windy, so rainy that you you literally, you know, in a really big storm, you don't get these in California very often. you got to go out to the desert or you got to go back east where I grew up. But when it's really raining, it's kind of like the rain is just moving horizontal. I mean, it's just blasting. Peter is walking toward Jesus. He begins to notice, whoa, 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 whoa. How bad is this? He begins to see the wind and all that's going on. And then it says this simple statement. He says, But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, Peter. And at this point, Jesus is just talking to Peter. We'll come back to this in a minute. He's not back in the boat with Peter yet. But he reaches out, and and in fact, if you read this story in the Greek language, the emphasis is on the uh, is on the word he began to sink. He was beginning to sink. He hadn't sunk yet. So if you've always pictured Peter like splash, just whoa, he's underwater, and Jesus reaches down and pulls him up out of the weeds, this is not what happened. Uh, The emphasis of the Greek language in this text is Peter was beginning to sink. He hadn't sunk yet. So he's kind of coming toward Jesus, and, and he's kind of, well, I'm walking on water. It's very cool. And the uh, water is on my ankles. And the uh, water is on my knees. And then the water is coming up to my thighs. And I'm way. Like, hey, and he freaks out, and, and, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him. Probably wasn't very far from Jesus at this point. And then Jesus, most likely, while Peter had a death grip, on his neck probably just whispered in his ear oh Peter why why did you doubt why did you doubt I got you let's go get in the boat and then they go together to the boat and they get in the boat and it says when they got in the boat it says when they got in the boat the wind stopped so who's in control of the storm yeah Jesus and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. When they had crossed over to the other side, it all started again. The men of that place recognized him. They sent the word around. Jesus is here. They all start bringing their sick, and Jesus is back busy healing, caring for the people, doing more miracles. So what do we learn? I mean, because you know, when you look at this story, um first i think one of the best stories in the scriptures it's one of the most commonly told stories but you think okay so now i know the next time i'm in a storm out in a boat and i see jesus walking on the water and if he says come i should come and i should not okay but most of us are not going to go through that so what are the principles of the story that you and i can take and and say all right god what are you teaching them what were you teaching them what are you trying to teach us today i think there's four lessons that i'd like to highlight for you. Here they are. I'll give them to you one at a time. Number 1, these are lessons in four themes: faith, focus, fear, and failure. Let me show you how all four are important to God, especially when you're facing storms in life. Number 1. I think the first thing this teaches me is that storms are opportunities. So God wants us to step out and stretch our faith. I think Jesus in in the story it's clear Jesus was proud of Peter for what he did you know he said, "Oh, Peter why did you doubt but you know something Peter was the only guy out of the boat you know Jesus I don't think Jesus is real upset with Peter uh, I think Jesus if anything is more upset with the guys that stayed in the boat so let's acknowledge that Jesus took us I mean I mean Peter took a huge step of faith When Jesus says, come, and there's there's water between you and him, and it's in a big storm, uh, you say, well, what do you mean, come? Can you send me a raft? But Peter trusted Jesus. He got out of the boat, and he started to walk, literally, miraculously, toward, toward Jesus. So understand, I think God wants us, like Peter, to stretch our faith whenever we're in the midst of a storm. Now, it raises the question, what's a storm? I think for you and me, it's often not a physical rainstorm, but obviously I think it's, it's, you're talking about times in your life in which things are not going well. Times in your life in which you are working as hard as you can work and feeling like you're not making progress. Times in, in your life in which you feel like whatever the challenges you're facing, you are rowing as hard as you can row and you still feel like you're going backwards. Could be times in terms of your career, it could be times in terms of your marriage, it could be times in terms of your physical health, when things are kind of beyond you, out of your control, and you're doing all that you can do physically, but yet you're not getting it done. I think for Becky and I, there have been a number of times in our lives where we faced major storms. We haven't had a ton of them. Many of you in this room have had bigger storms and more often more frequent storms than we have. I've told you about a few of these in the past, so I'm not going to give you the whole long version. But when I was 38 years old, I had a minor stroke um, that at first was diagnosed as a brain tumor that was inoperable and uncurable if it was what they thought it was. And the brain tumor had located itself in the speech center of my brain. Now, most of what I do uh, fairly, you know, I try to do to make a living is use my mouth all right sometimes I use my mouth too much but you know I get paid to teach and to speak and I love to do that and and all of a sudden I'm being told by a doctor you probably have 70% chance you have a brain tumor inoperable in the speech center and you will continue to lose your ability to speak coherently so all of a sudden Becky and I and he said but how, how, how soon will we know and he said well you it's gonna take at least 30 days because we're gonna cycle back and do another MRI and, and, and if it's not that, by the way, you've probably had a small stroke, and that will probably clear up, and then we've got to look for what caused it. Oh, great. So I've either had a stroke or a brain tumor, and, and let's go do life. So Becky and I had to process that with God, and, and it took about 60 days before they could diagnose it. it was actually a small stroke, which we're very thankful for now, and it didn't cause a lot of resi- resi- residual damage. <laughs> it's probably a bad joke, but anyway. <laughs> especially when Becky listens to the tape. (laughs) Let me tell you something. It sure shook our faith. And we had to get on our knees with God and say, okay, God, if you are who you say you are, we trust you. We have to trust you. I have to trust that you will do what is best for me, for your kingdom, for my family. And if that means that in the next couple years, I check out and go to heaven... The harder thing is, i got to trust you that you're going to take care of my wife. You're going to take care of my three young kids. And we began to be fearful because we began to look at the circumstances we were facing we began to imagine all the, the worst-case scenarios. More recently, our firstborn grandson at age 8 um, was diagnosed with a uh, syndrome that 30% of the time can be life-threatening and not curable, and um, spent about two weeks at Rady's Children's Hospital, and we're very thankful it didn't develop into that full expression of that of that disease of that syndrome and um as he likes to jokingly say papa i got new lips because his lips virtually fell off all the skin in his mouth and his lips just all the outer layers of skin just sloughed off and got infected and it was very 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 gross i don't want to gross you out this is not a horror movie it's a sermon But it was very serious, but by God's grace, it didn't spread over the rest of his body and people that have this particular problem, sometimes it spreads over their whole body and the more it covers in your body, the greater the risk that you will die from it. So when you have a grandchild like that, your faith gets tested. But the ultimate question is, God, do we trust you with him? We're going to pray like the devil that he gets well, right? That's a bad metaphor probably. (laughs) That's a bad expression. Where's that come from? we're gonna pray really really hard (laughs) we're gonna pray really really hard that he gets well and we're gonna you know so we pray for God's healing and everything else you know but ultimately can we relax even under that pressure and the fear can we relax in the knowledge that we can trust Jesus with everything we can trust him with my health with our grandson's health with We can trust him with our future. We can trust him with our job, our career, our finances. Can we trust him? And storms like this are opportunities to grow your ability to trust him. Here's the difference in what Jesus is teaching Peter, I think, and what the world says. Let me put it this way. Here's a statement. The world, when it comes to storms, the world says that safety is found in a bigger boat. Just get a bigger boat. Jesus says safety is found in a bigger God. Um, When they built the Titanic, it was like we finally built the ship that even God couldn't sink. This thing is indestructible. Bigger, better in every way. All it took was one chunk of ice to bring it down. See, the, the reality is in all of our lives there are things that really push our faith and god says trust me trust me i love you we studied that last week love jesus more than anything else this is kind of the next follow up to that if you love me more than anything else then trust me above all else and know that i've proven my love for you on the cross and i've proven my ability to care for you through doing things like just feeding 5000 people and all of their families and we're going to see later in Mark's version of this miracle that Mark actually says that Jesus did this because he realized. At the end of Mark 6, he says, Jesus did this miracle of walking on the water and engaging them because they still didn't understand that he could meet all their needs. So these are opportunities for us to get a bigger God, not just try to build a bigger boat. See, we think if we have more money in the bank, we'll be more secure. If we think we have a better spouse or marriage, we'll be more secure. If we think we have everyone like us, we'll be more secure. If we think we have a better job, better this, better that, bigger boat. Our security is never in anything in this life, in this world. It's in Christ. That's the, that's the bottom line. Fascinating other little fact about this story that often gets overlooked is Jesus sent them into the storm knowing that it was happening, if not causing it directly. Sometimes God will send you somewhere and you say, "Okay, God, I want to follow you and you follow God right into a storm. And then we have a tendency to say, God, what's up with this? Why, God, you must not have sent me here. God, what's up with this? And the fact is, God will send us into storms at times because he wants to teach us these lessons. And the first thing is, step out and stretch your faith when you're challenged. Number two, in the storm, in the midst of it. Secondly, keep your focus on Christ, not your circumstances. Man, it was so obvious in this story that Peter Peter's problem, and here's how I would summarize it, wasn't so much that he didn't have any faith or even that he became fearful, but that he lost his focus. In fact, his fear was rooted in the fact that he had lost his focus on Christ. Because you know, what it says in the text is he began to see the wind. When he began to focus his attention on the winds and the danger and off of Christ, he began to sink. And it wasn't like, you know, he just whooshed underwater, okay? I love the fact that when you study this, and and it doesn't come through in English as well as it does in the the Greek language, the emphasis is on the word, he was beginning to sink. And a lot of times that's how faith is, you know, we, we have faith, we have a focus, but we just begin to get out of focus, we begin to focus more on the problems than on the resources we have in Christ and as we do that the problems begin to sink us and that's exactly what was happening here i think in our lives it happens all the time if you want to do a cross reference study this week write this down study philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 3 through verse 9, because there it talks about be anxious for nothing. And by the way, anxiety is the first cousin of fear. You realize that anxiety is like the little brother of fear. It's just another form of fear. And he says, be anxious for nothing or fear nothing. But in everything by with with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he goes on to say, and whatever is, he says, the peace of God that surpasses human understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But then he says, and, and I love this next verse in verse 8, he says, and whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is of good repute, whatever is, whatever is worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. See, you can't choose your circumstances. They usually choose you. But you can choose your focus. And I love that verse. The reason that verse is in my mind is I've memorized those verses. I recommend you memorize Philippians 4, especially verses 6 through through 10, because it is so rich And and it reminds me, okay, I'm starting to get anxious. What should I do? First, I need to give some thanks to God for what I do have and what He is and who He is and His present. So I need to focus on the reality of Jesus in my life and all that His grace provides for me. And then I need to say, all right, am I going to focus on my problems or am I going to stop and put my focus on Christ, what He wants me to do and all the things that are good in my life? And when I do that, All of a sudden, my spirit gets lifted. So in the midst of the storm, keep your focus on Christ, not the circumstances. Third big lesson. So use storms to stretch your faith. Use storms to focus your faith on Christ. Number three, when you're afraid, because I think fear happens. Storms are fearful. Sometimes things happen in life. They are scary. And to say, oh, I'm not afraid, I think is kind of a lie. I think on the, on the emotional level, there's nothing wrong with ex- ex- accepting the reality, I am afraid. So what do you do in the midst of that? I love this. It says, uh, he chose courage and cried out. He cried out. So the lesson is, when you are afraid, two things, choose courage and cry out. Choose courage and cry out. And you can do both. You know, it says here that that Jesus said to them, his very first word to them in verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke and said, take courage. In other words, courage is something you can take, you can grab hold of, you can choose it. And again, you can't choose your circumstances. A lot of times, your problems are outside of my control, and if I think I can control them, I'll go crazy. But in the midst of them, I can say, "Okay, am I going to be fearful? I am fearful. Am I going to choose courage?" Jesus said, "Take courage." And then if you feel like you're sinking, you cry out. Both are good things to do. I love this statement that I read once, and that is this courage is the willingness to risk to do what is right in spite of your fears. In fact, I would contend that if you don't have any fearful situation, if you don't have an element of fear, you don't need courage. You only need courage when you're facing something that's scary. And I love the fact Jesus says, okay, yeah, the storm is big, but hey, guys, take courage. Choose courage. Choose to do what is right. Choose to obey God. Choose to follow Christ even when you are afraid. I love that. Mark Twain put it this way. Mark Twain said, "Courage is the mastery of fear, not the absence of it." I'm a John Wayne movie guy. Any anybody old enough to remember John Wayne? Okay. Anybody under 30 even know who John Wayne is? Raise your hand. Yeah, he's on. He's probably on Nick at Night or something. I don't know. But you know. But yeah, watch a good John Wayne flick. You know. And John Wayne was this courageous guy. But here's what John Wayne said: Being courage is quote being scared to death and saddling up anyway. So it's not that you're not afraid. It's you say, "Okay, Lord, I am afraid, but I'm going to choose to follow you." Sometimes Jesus calls us to do things that are scary. If we love him and choose to follow him, he'll ask us at times to serve him outside of our comfort zone. Some of you ought to go to Africa on one of our Africa teams, but you think, no, I could never do that. It scares me to death. I don't want to be around snakes and spiders. Oh, my gosh, isn't that terrible? Woo-hoo! You know, know, but the, the reality is I haven't seen a snake yet in Africa. Spiders? Yeah, okay, yeah, they're there. But the point is, whether it's going to Africa, whether it's loving your wife like Christ loved the church when you don't feel like it whether it's forgiving someone that's wronged you when you think, you know something I don't feel like forgiving them. Jesus says, "You know something, I forgave you, so I want you to give them grace. I want you to forgive them you don't have to get even. I want you to release that so I, I'm afraid to release that because I 'd rather have the security of getting even. See it can be any area of obedience in our lives in fact, I would go so far as to say that a high percentage of disobedience is rooted in fear if it was easy to obey god we'd probably do it more but jesus says trust me trust me then after the storm one fourth final lesson after the storm i love how the story ends in verse 33 the simple statement when they got in the boat the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshiped jesus and you are certainly underline the word certainly You are certainly God's son. They already knew he was God's son. They already believed he was God's son. But you know, faith is like a muscle. You know, and and it needs to be exercised to get stronger. It needs to be challenged and stretched to get stronger. And this is a case where now they went from you are God's son to you are certainly God's son. I love that. Learn from your mistakes. They learned from their mistakes and it led them to worship. It's been said that age only doesn't produce maturity. A quote from my mentor, Howie Hendricks, he once said this. He said, some people have 20 years of experience. Others have one year of experience repeated 20 times. And they still haven't grown up. If you want to grow in your faith, you take the storms, you take your faith Sometimes it'll be strong. Other times you're going to begin to sink. You're going to cry out to God. You know something? Just learning to cry out to God when you're sinking instead of trying to build a bigger boat is maturity. So what is it God's been teaching you? Where have you been challenged? What's he wants you to do? Is there someone he wants to share your faith with? Is theres there... Is there, is there an area of obedience. Maybe it's with how you handle your money or your time or your relationships. Are you willing to say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I will follow you? Because I trust you. Father God, thank you for the lesson about faith, about focus, even about what we learn from times when we fail and we're beginning to sink. I thank you, Father, for the example of Peter. I thank you for Peter having the guts to get out of the boat so that we can learn from even his areas of weakness. So thank you for your grace. Thank you that as we walk with you daily that whatever it is that scares us, we don't have to be controlled by our fears. We can choose courage because we choose Christ. And with Christ, we have a reason to be courageous. Not because we can handle the storms, but because he can. And he is with us and in us and through us. So we thank you for that. Use it in our lives in Christ's name. Amen.